Um, we are continuing the of Peter, and we're going to hopefully today finish chapter 2 and actually get into chapter 3 a little bit. As I've mentioned, Peter writes this letter a little bit later on in life. Peter's learned a few things. You know, life has taught him a few lessons. And Peter is now from that point of view is, is he's probably in that older generation and he's investing in the young generation. And especially churches that he's been to, people that he knows, he knows their struggles, he knows what's given them a hard time, and he knows what circumstances are around that, that are, they're struggling with. And again, they're coming under persecution. Peter also has that fatherly instinct now, and he cares for these folks. And again, yet he, I'm sure he hasn't forgotten that he was bold and he was rash, and that's how we normally think of Peter, is that one that action first and thought later, you know, and then have to kind of back out of that and apologize. And sometimes with age that happens, although I got to confess, I know some older folks, they still do that. They still jump first and then have to kind of backtrack later and, and ask for forgiveness. So as we've been studying 1 Peter, and we've noticed some things, he mentions quite often the importance of our salvation, right? It's of utmost importance. In fact, I was in a meeting this week, and I even heard someone says, the golden ticket. You know, I got the golden ticket, right? Salvation. What Peter understands, and what most of us need to understand is, that's not all there is. We need, right? That's not all there is, that Salvation is important. We need that, and that's the beginning point of our new life. But the walk afterwards is as important to Christ as well, and it's important to God. How we live out our lives as believers is of utmost importance, and we have to be intentional about that. It's not, oh, I'm saved, I'm all set, I'm done, I can just live the way that I've been living. And Peter points to that, and he continually encourages him that. But yet he doesn't forget how important his salvation is. And he talks about that living hope. Now, if you were with us here last week, maybe some of you remember. If you remember one thing, I called you a bunch of rocks, right? But I did clarify that. You're not just rocks that are immovable and you're not devalued, that you're important, right? You're precious. You're precious stones. And again, pointing back to Jesus as a cornerstone, and he builds upon that. But sometimes with those rocks, we got to knock some things off. We need to be shaped a little bit. And we just need to get rid of some things. And Peter kind of has that same message, and it continues on. Uh, even in today's lesson, we'll see a little bit more of that, where we need to take off some things, but we also need to change a little bit. We need to change our thinking. We need to change the way we live. And most importantly, we need to change how we interact with other people. Our relationships are important. And lastly, but not least, as we were finishing up last week, we talked about submission, right? We had to submit to the authorities, submit to the king that was above, and, and we said that can be a difficult task, right? It's tough sometimes, and you know, today's culture, you don't have to go very far to see how hard that can be for, for many folks, right? Our political system has divided us, and, and there's many people we lose sight of, even just the respect of the person in the position that God's placed over us but also the reminder, they are made in Christ's image as well. And if for no other reason, we need to respect that as, as images of Christ. And so that's where we kind of left off. And so we're going to pick it back up with that um, in verse 17 in chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, if not, the, the guys will have it up behind me, and we'll, we'll follow along with that. So we ended last week, and the beginning of this week says, Show proper respect for everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God, honor the king. 
So that would make a great bumper sticker, right? It'd be a good reminder, you know, just to, to keep that, right? Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood. You know, that love that we have within the church is vitally important. We'll see that today. That is an example of Christ's love and what Christ has done for us. And we can show that just by loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. And sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes our brothers and sisters are not playing nice all the time. Sometimes we don't always agree. We don't always like what the other person does. But we can love them, work through it, hang in there with each other. Again, love the brotherhood. And certainly we do it for God's sake. Interestingly enough, he goes into this next section um, with a group of people that we struggle with. It says, slaves, submit yourselves to masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. All right, I'm going to stop right there for a minute. When we in this Western culture hear slaves, what do we normally first instinct go to? Come on, it's not a rhetorical question. Come on, you know me, you guys know me. I'm going to ask a question. I'm waiting for an answer. What? What's the first thing that popped in your head? Huh? It's wrong, yeah? But don't we normally think of the South? Civil War. Yeah, cause of war. We think of, the South. We think of, of, of that group of slaves. And that, that was horrific, and certainly it was a different situation. But you've got to remember the context here. This context is the Roman Empire, and the slaves were almost, at some estimates, almost two-thirds of the population would be considered slaves, but slaves with a lot of freedom. And slaves is a broader term here, you know, and they had different levels of slavery. Basically, if you were in debt, you could be enslaved. Now, you had a lot of freedom, and you, but you had to make payments, and you had to continue. And quite often, we translate slaves to help us as we transition that from being a slave is like being in a job, right? You enslave yourself while you're at work. If you think about it that way, some of you have a tough job, you say, yeah, I'm definitely a slave at work. But in reality, during that time, you've agreed to put yourself under your boss in that work for X amount of time, and you have to produce X amount of widgets or whatever it is that you're doing. There's accountability, but you're giving up that time. So if you broaden it out that way, it kind of makes a little more sense. And again, if any of you, does anyone have a mortgage here? Yeah, some of you have mortgages. Anyone have a car payment? All right. How about, here's the big one today, student loans. Yeah, still paying off student loans, right? Guess what? You're indebted. You're enslaved to that bill to a degree, right? You have to make payments on that. Or there's consequences. So if you broaden out that way, it helps us with this slavery a little bit, that we're refined, we're underneath something, we have to answer, we have to make payment, or we have to do work in order to be that way. It's but how we react in those situations is vitally important. It's part of our Christian walk. You realize that? When you go to work, you don't get to take off your, your Christian hat and say, all right, I'm not a Christian anymore, I'm just a worker, I'm just a worker bee. No, as a believer, we should still be a Christian. Never forget this. I had a young man in another state, and he was a state trooper, dear brother in Christ. And he says, Charlie, I, I really wrestle with my Christianity at work. He says, I, I, I'm told you know, to, to make people 
you know, to give up information that I have to get them to lie. You know, I lie to them to get information back. And he says, you know, sometimes we, we put pressure or we'll say that we have evidence and we don't really have it. And he says, I struggle with that as a believer. And I said, don't you think, his name was Rich, dear brother. I said, Rich, don't you think that God could work through that without you having to lie? And he goes, yeah, but Charlie, you know, I can't be a Christian at work. And you know, I work for the state. And he gave me all these reasons. And he wrestled for a long time. But you know what? He came back to me couple months later after we'd been working together, I was discipling him, and he says, you know what? I had a case, and guess what? That person willingly gave up all the information. I just prayed before I went. I didn't have to lie. I didn't have to manipulate. I didn't have to do all those things. I didn't have to take off my, me being a Christian. It's the same for us, so we need to remember that we are Christians all the time. In fact, if not even more so when we're in these places of, of work and when we're among non-believers, and even amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ that maybe go to a different church or anywhere that we meet them, we need to keep the same. Same integrity, the same um, willingness to do what's right. So it goes on here, it says, For it's commendable for a man to bear up under pain or unjust suffering, because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. All right? Has anyone here ever been falsely accused? Yeah. We all have. At some point in juncture, right? If you're in a relationship with any time, you will be falsely accused. And guess what? You, that can happen at the workplace. It can happen, dare I say, in the home. It can even happen in our church family as well. There are times that we will be falsely accused. We'll be thought wrong. My kids thought they, that I, I did that all the time. They always thought that I was judging them wrongly. You know, it was never you know, Jared's fault. It was always Chaz's fault, my, you know, the brothers especially. Of course, we used to just punish them both to make sure we got the right one. But that was, one was always thinking that it was unjust. You that are fathers understand that, right? My father was the same way. We, there were three of us in my family, and he says, I'll spank all three of you to make sure I get the right one. Uh, meanwhile, two out of the three were upset because it was unfair. Uh, that's what I grew up under, and, and you know what? God used my dad greatly in my life. But it's true. We get falsely accused. But God says, bear up under it because it's commendable to God. Now, if I'm the one that does something wrong and I get the just punishment, guess what? There's no value in that. That's what I deserve. I deserve to get that. I'm not going to bring up the speeding ticket last week. I got in trouble. I had a conversation all the way home with my wife, and I actually have to work on that this week. Um, you'll see in a little bit in chapter 3. Right? We want mercy. But if, if we do what's wrong, we, we deserve what we get, and that's not commendable God. But if we get a falsely accused, and we still bear up under it, and we still... As I like to say today, we keep our testimony. God sees value in that. He sees that. He knows. And certainly he knows most of all. Right? These next verses point to that. It says, To this you recall because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Isaiah 53 quotes here. It says, He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Made no, they hurled insults at him. He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. 
going to stop right there for a minute. Remember who's writing this letter, right? Sometimes it's always good to kind of pull yourself out of it. Peter. Peter's writing this, and again, he's bearing testimony to what the Old Testament said, but he's also bearing testimony that, hey, I was there. I was with Jesus for those three years. I watched them insult Jesus. I was there when the Pharisees were hurling insults. I was there at the crucifixion. I ducked out for a little bit, but I was there, right? He can testify to those things. He spent those three years 24-7. He traveled. He gave up. He sacrificed. And at the end of it, he can say, hey, this is how Jesus handled himself. This is my example. This is who we are to be like. Even though we are being falsely accused, we may be insulted, threats made against us, that's the example. And Christ was able to do that. So he's saying, hey, that's our goal. It's a goal for us to, 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 to work towards that, to be the same way as Christ. And I left out that part in, earlier on about being holy, right? We, we talked about that earlier as well. Be holy as I am holy. Here's another one. Be the example as Christ is the example. Under tough circumstances. Again, Peter's not making light because some of these slaves face some of this this in his congregations as well. They face these hard times. He's saying, but bear up under it. Be like Christ. Right? Don't retaliate. It goes so against our human nature, right? You hit me, I'm going to hit you, right? Or you insult me, I'm going to insult you back harder. That's our natural instinct. We want to fight back. You cut me off in front of me, I'm going to lay on my horn and I'm going to come and cut you off in my car. Right? That's not even road rage. That's just being normal driving in, in the Northeast. But um, I'm learning. God's working on me and I'm, I'm changing. But it's true, isn't it? We wrestle with that. Sometimes we want to say, hey, our right is. You, you don't have no right to do that. And we want to defend that. And again, it puts us in a position where we're not being examples as Christ. So how we respond, which is what I'm kind of working through this here in the next couple of verses, is how we respond is important. I can't control what the other person is going to do to me. But I can choose how I'm going to respond. Right? None of us know what the next person who's going to come up and insult us or the next person that's going to be upset with us. But how I respond, I can control that. And my response is important. And now we're going to get into that area where responding is vitally important. We're going to be talking a little bit about marriage this morning, right? Wives and husbands, right? That's that that area that can be a struggle. You that are married, you understand that. But you know what? How we respond in that is, is vitally important. How we respond to those in the outside world is important. And lastly, I didn't want to skip over these verses, but he wraps this section up and he goes, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and God is the one of your souls. Have a nice closing benediction now, right? God is the one that sees things may come. He's the one that will protect us. Our physical bodies may come under attack. Other things may come under attack, our emotions. But you know what? God sees our souls. He's the one that's got it. It's going to be okay. He's the one that takes care of that. So I said, we're going to get into wives and husbands. And again, this relationship is one of those unique relationships. I have yet to understand, I think Paul wrestled with this, why God would take two sinners, 
bind them together, call them one flesh, and say, now you've got to live together in perfect harmony. It doesn't make sense in many ways, right? But if you look at it, it's also the same way that Christ says the church is the bride and he's the groom. That relationship, that marriage relationship is what he is looking for in the church. And that relationship, husband and wife, is reserved. And that husband and wife is an example, it should be an example, instead of the church and our Lord. So it's important. And again, as Peter restates, we need to live out our lives as Christ wants them. It's important what we do after our salvation. So wives, you get to go first. Uh, Just how Peter set it up, actually it's that way. It says, but um, Peter addresses the wives first. It says, wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husband. So that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior their wives. Oh, without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence in your lives. I'm going to stop right there. A couple of things. It's one of those words that the world is kind of hijacked. But when you say submit, sometimes I've been in many churches and I understand some even church women, they kind of bristle up and say, wait a minute, submit. You know, and again, it, because that word's gotten hijacked right? Submit has a lot of meaning to it. It has a lot more depth to it. It means come up underneath, support, encourage, place under. Yes, it does mean that. But you know what? Christ submitted himself to God the Father. Slaves had to submit to their masters. We have to submit to the authorities. It's the same word. This is the same word being used over and over again. So it's not a bad word. Again, our culture has stolen it, and, and there's been many things that have, you know, again, you go to the extremes, yes, it can be abused, but at the core, it's talking about the response, a submissive response. And again, I always like to make this clear, because I've, I've had this, this argument before, but it says your husband, right? Why submit to your husband? Not to submit to someone else's husband or somebody else or, or, or men in general, but to your husband. Again, that marriage relationship is unique. And it's an example of Christ. And submitting yourself is part of what God wants for us. Hopefully that helps with some of that. But interesting, he said he gives the example of an unbelieving husband. If he's an unbelieving husband, right? Wives, do you realize how much influence you can have on us men? have a lot of influence on us. Even in a submissive role, you have incredible influence on us as men. And Peter really here is, is kind of flipping and saying, hey, you can have a lot of influence in the area of spirituality. But how you do it is important. And that's what he's pointing out here. How you do it is very important. Because again, unbelieving husband's working in a deficit. He's working without Christ in him, he's working without the Holy Spirit, he's working out, he's working in a deficit, yet he's called, he's your husband, and you're called to him as his wife. And so he gives you a little bit of example here, what not to do. First he says, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair, jewelry, and fine clothes. All right, so women, yeah, you can throw all those things away. That's not what Scripture is saying. That's just not the focal point. That's not the important part, right? 
you that have been married a long time, you understand that, that that's an attraction there. Certainly that gets things going, right? That, that kind of gets our attention because us men are visual. But then it's the relationship, the, the more time we spend. Fact, quite often with young couples, when they come to me and they ask me to get married, you know, I don't get a lot of them, but when you get those two 18-year-olds, right, they're focused on the outward appearance. They're, they're usually, you know, they're, they're gun hold to get married, but again, they, they haven't spent enough time yet. In fact, usually what I try to do is I kind of slow the process down. Like, all right, let's just slow this down a bit. Let's do some study together. Let's, let's work this out. In fact, you may even know this. If you come to Pastor Charlie and say, hey, I want to get married in three months, I'm probably going to say no. That's just not enough time for me to, to get to know you, but for you to even get, know, get to know each other. Now, I know there are exceptions to that. I know people have gotten married in a couple weeks' time, and their marriage has worked. I'm not saying that's... But if you want Pastor Charlie to do your wedding, I'm going to need a little more time just to even work through some study, but even just to get to know you and hopefully that you get to know each other. So the attraction is there. And again, he's not saying you can't wear braids and churches have taken that hijack. But that's not where the real value is. That's not what's at the root of this. It's not where, what's going to hold you together. It's not what's going to make a difference in your husband's life. Is really what he's saying here. It says instead, verse 4, it says, instead it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Look at that, right? He said, hey, it's that inner self. That's that inner beauty, right? The one that's watching over your soul, the one that, that knows your heart, that's where the value is. And it may take a while for your husband to see that, He's saying, even though he, as an unbeliever, he may not see it right away. He may not understand why you do what you do, but he will eventually see that. Or that's what's going to be precious to him. Again, that's an opportunity to show Christ. So God makes that utterly important. And again, Peter mentions that here. Those are the things of great value. That's going to help that unbelieving husband pointing him to Christ. Then he gives us an example here from the old he says, for this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Again, that kind of, I love that last sentence, right? Do not give way to fear. Because again, that kind of where the, the word has gotten hijacked, right? Given to fear, fear that my husband's going to abuse his authority or he's not going to respect me. He's not going to take care of me. I'm going to be a doormat. I'm, I'm going to lose my right. That's where you, giving in to fear causes those things. And again, the call is to be that wife that God's called you to be. Interesting, he uses Sarah, right? Let me just tell you, if, guys, if you're looking for a hero of the faith who, who's a great husband, don't look at Abraham. He was not the greatest of husbands by any means, if you know the story. If you don't, there's some good study material this week. But don't use that example. But yet Sarah, and Sarah wasn't the perfect wife. Don't, don't, don't let me say that either. But in her respect for her husband, she does show that. She does show those godly characters, and she does show a good wife in that regards. I ask this question usually when couples come to me, and um, some of you may have heard this before, but what is the greatest need of a man, husband, in marriage? 
You guys already got it. See, I must, I must have said it already because usually people struggle with that. It's good, Everett. But right? Respect. We can do without a lot of things as men. We, we can stand on our own. We can usually do with a lot of things. We can do, we don't need our laundry cleaned as much as our wives say. We don't need our, you know, we can find food. We're usually pretty good at that if we need to. But no, in all seriousness, respect. Wives, that's where you have the greatest influence. If you disrespect us, it's like cutting us off at the back of our hamstrings. It just takes the wind right out of our sails. We, we, we don't function well without that respect. And again, it comes in many different forms, many different ways. Um, and how to do that, that's, that's another whole lesson for another time. I spend quite a bit of time in marriage counseling about that. But, but respect. Us men need that. It helps get us through those tough times, that respect. Showing respect. Your husband, many forms. All right, ladies, what do you need from your husband? Love? Love? I agree to a degree, but we, we, all, we all need love. So love is, is a little bit too broad. But besides love, what is one of the, the characteristics that you ladies acquire and need? Honesty? Yeah, that, that's part of it. That can be part of it. Bingo. There you go. Security. Thank you. And I didn't even prompt you with that. You, you, you got that one, Giselle. You're, you're right on. Security. They need that security. They, know, they need to know that relationship is going to withhold the test of time. They need security quite often with finances, with a home. You know, they, just, they like the nesting as they, as they start to have children. Wives need security. Certainly, that's part of love, too. And I'm not, I mean, in, in honesty, integrity, that's important as well. Husband who provides, all those things. But that security is really at the core. And so with that, Peter gives these instructions to the husbands. Interestingly, it's not as long. It's not as long a list. It's a shorter list. I have a couple of reasons why I think that might be. One, because husbands have a hard enough time remembering too much as it is, right? You know, um, PJ sends me to the grocery store. If it's more than three, I've got to get a list. Otherwise, yeah, I'm only going to come home with two out of the three. I'll forget it as soon as I get there. And I'll probably add some things to the list that were not on our list and, and get in trouble that way. Oh, there's a steak and there's some cookies and, and they're not in the... And she wanted cheese and cottage cheese and milk. But, um, but, but don't miss here. These are both important. And I think, again, not because guys don't remember, but these are broad and they take a lot of work for us men as husbands. So verse 7, husbands in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as a weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Again, despite the length, when I look at that, that is a tall order for us men as husbands. That takes a lot of effort, a lot of work. Being considerate, it's a broad term, but that can envelop a lot, right? More than just the old school of opening the door for your wife, although that's not a bad thing to do, and I think we should still do that. But being considerate is just understanding them. Think about the last conflict you had with, with your wife, right? It's usually we're not being considerate. We're thinking of our needs over their needs, right? Selfishness plays a, a large role in that. But even how we interact, right? 
I was working with the guys yesterday moving. We were joking and busting around a lot and moving, right? Brent and Brandon, we were, Brandon and I were busting way too much. I don't know that we got much work done, uh, even how we use words. No, but we were joking around, and we were saying things back and forth as men as we were working. You know what? If there had been a woman there interacting with us or even part of our group, she probably would have gotten offended at some of the things that we were doing and joking around, right? Let's be honest. Because we guys have a way of interacting. And we don't take offense to it. It's just, you know, it's just part of it. Busting on someone is part of it. It's just naturally part of it. You know, you got your end? No, you got my end. What are you doing? One hand, two hands. You know, we're just having fun. But women could take offense to it. Because you know why? Because God has made them more sensitive to those things. Quite often, they're thinking more than we are, all right? I'll just say it, all right? I'll just put it out there. You ladies think more than us men do. We don't think that deeply. We don't look at all those details. And a lot of times, you have more things going on in your head than we do. <laughs> you know, we were thinking about getting the couch to the door and how we were going to get that out it was, was a mystery. If we had a lady there, she would have been worried about, are we scratching the couch and did we get snow on it and you know, the water dripping down, all those other details. We were really just trying to get through it without busting our knuckles up, and that was our main goal, and we did. And I don't think, not too bad, Brandon might have some swords or something, but he had the other end. No. And I'm making light of it, but it's true. We can be honest, right? So women, we need to be considerate of those things. We need to think of those things when we're interacting with our wives. It's a different way of talking to them, our tone, the way we word things. Those things are important. So that's, that's just one area of this, right? It says respect them, right? Value them, respect them. Now, I said that's one of men's greatest needs. Guess what? It's equally so with women as well. They need to be respected. In fact, I coach guys quite often. Hey, when you talk about your wife, paint her always in the best possible light as possible, right? Or the old rule of thumb. If you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. I don't always do that. I am still working on it. God's doing a work in my life. Back to the ticket. I'm still working through that last week. And, and so many times I've, I've, as I've worked through this, 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 this kind of gets hung up here, but respect them as the weaker partner. Think of the weaker partner here more as the different partner. And you know what? I actually really value that part of the weaker partner as far as, and it's not weak in spirit by any means. In fact, he goes on to clarify that. They are co-heirs. It's not as normally by any means. But physically speaking, normally, in the, the realm of things, men are stronger than women. We have a different role. We have a different way of looking at things. And so weaker in that way. But more to help us men to know how to protect, to be considerate, to be sensitive, to watch over our wives. And again, as Giselle said, if security is part of that, or that's part of that, being that man, being that husband, watching over her, taking care of her. Husbands, don't treat your wives as one of the guys. There you go, boil it down. It doesn't work well. And again, he clears it up with, hey, they're a partner, they're co-heirs, they're equal spiritually. And then I would love to cut out this last little part of it, but you know what? I can't, because this makes it not an option for, for me when I look at this. It says, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So 
If I'm having struggles being the husband God's called me to be, guess what? It's hindering my prayers. It's hindering my spiritual life. And I've had guys actually argue this with me. Oh, no, my relationship with God is really good. Oh, we're, we're, we're tight. We're doing really well. I can't stand my wife right now. She's driving me nuts. You know what? That's not true. You can't have it. Scripture says it over and over again. If we're out of relationship with our brothers and sisters of Christ, it affects our relationship with God. There's just no way around it. And again, this, this verse among many show that. But you know what? As tough as it is for me to, to make time to pray and to spend that time in prayer, you know, I, I'd hate to think that I'm praying and guess what? My prayers are being hindered. They're not going anywhere. They're being hung up because you know what? Because my heart's not right. For me, and I'll just speak for myself, prayer takes a lot of work for me. It's one of those things that, you know, to take time to spend that time to pray, I have to really make some effort. I have to usually push something else off to spend that time alone with God just to pray. And the last thing I would want is for my prayers to be hindered. You know, that hindered, that word is, is kind of, but it's like, it's just bouncing off the ceiling. It's not getting, it's not getting to God yet. Not that God doesn't hear it, but God's not going to answer it. Because guess what? It's being hindered. Because you know what? God wants me to obey his word and he wants me to be back in right relationship with my wife. When I look at this verse, I'm like, oh yeah, I know what I got to do. Usually for me, it's to go back and ask for forgiveness to my wife and restore the relationship. So there is more than enough in this relationship of husband and wives. There's more than enough here for us husbands to do as well along with the wives. And interesting, Peter only uses the situation, the, the wife with an unbelieving husband, but obviously it works very much well with the believing husband. Be able to mention that. Paul does the same thing in his writing. He emphasizes the marriage relationship. Now some of you that are single here are saying, I'm off the hook, right? Well, there's, there's plenty in the being at work and, and that part of it. But you know what? That relationship and submitting to authorities, and submitting to those above us, that's for all of us. And certainly, that submitting to the brothers and sisters in Christ as well. That all has value in here. And again, this relationship that we have with each other affects our relationship with God. So, food for thought. Whether it's authorities, those over us, our brothers and sisters in Christ, husband and wives, if you're in that marriage relationship, it matters to God how we behave after we are saved. Bow with me, please. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, I do thank you for your word and your instructions, Lord, that challenge us at many times and many points. But Lord, we know that you want to do that work in us. Lord, may we allow the Holy Spirit to do that work in us today. May we continue to strive to be more and more like you. Lord, I thank you for those that have spoken into our lives through the years, Lord, that continue to challenge us, continue to guide us, continue to direct us. Lord, continue to do your work in our lives today and for the days to come. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.